I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. And while you're doing that, our children who are three to six are able to be dismissed at this time and meet Miss Dawn at the back door. She'll be glad to take you over to Kid Venture. Jeremiah 31. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned it. I think I did. Uh, about Connection Cafe. We have that right after service today. We have coffee and other, other beverages as well as a snack. So we hope that you can, will be joining us and so we can meet and connect with you further. Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a brother, excuse me, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> this is one of the worst and one of the best times of the year. It's the worst time of the year because, well, all you had to do was get up and look out the window this morning. A couple of people told me they heard thunder and lightning and were expecting those April showers, and here it's snowing out. So, But this is the time of year that we're all tired of winter. It's been long enough, even those, there's a few rare birds, but most of us by this time of year are getting sick and tired of the snow. And it's just been a long winter. We're tired of warming up the car every morning. We're tired of wondering how big the heat bill is going to be this month. We're tired of now starting to look and see all the rubbish in the yard that we can't get at yet. And it is a time of year when we just really want things to change. But it's also one of the best times of year because we are beginning to anticipate something that God does every single year without fail. God has never failed to do this, and that is to demonstrate a truth. And he has written it in the order of his creation. And that truth is, that out of seasons when things are dormant, when things appear dead, when things appear lifeless, that He will again bring life. God never fails to teach us that lesson. Every year when we're just wondering if we can stand one more day of it, we begin to see life coming to be. I was talking with Janelle yesterday. She's in Vancouver. 
she said, don't get too jealous now, but she said, all of the trees, the buds are just at that point where they're just ready to explode. And there's an excitement in the air and an anticipation and we will be there. And new life will spring forth from what appears to be nothing but deadness. God will bring His life. We believe in a God who makes all things new. And I want you to hear this verse this morning because this is the theme that we're going to be walking through for the next four weeks. And I think you're going to be very encouraged because this is one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. Revelation 21.5 He who sits... He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and these words are true. If you are connected with God, if you are one of His people, then this is the promise for you that God is making everything new. Not just a few things, He's making everything new. We see that when God came and dwelt among us, this is exactly what He did. New sight to those that were blind. New sound to those that couldn't hear. New strength to those that were you know, lame. Uh, new flesh to those who were leprous. New freedom to those who were captives. And even new life to those who had experienced death. And so over these next four Sundays, we are going to be looking at some of the things that God is making new. We're just going to have time to hit four of them. There are so many things. If you read through the Bible and, and list all the things that God said He's going to make new, new this, new that, new this. And if you like new things, you should be excited about what God has in store for you as a follower of Christ. We're going to be looking at this morning at this new covenant that God had promised. Next week we're going to look at new creation or this new birth. We are new creatures. What does that look like? What does that mean? We're going to talk about new heavens and new earth. I just think that is so such an exciting topic. We're going to look on Good Friday at a new way that God has made. And then finally Easter Sunday, we're going to look... This, this year, not just at the resurrection of Christ, but the hope we have of new resurrected bodies. And all that God is doing that is new in our lives. So, this morning, let's jump in. We don't have time to, uh, to wait around in the shallow end, so we're just going to jump off the deep end here. And we're going to look this morning at this new covenant. One of the things that God has promised... Is a, is a new covenant. Now, this is very important. And, you know, some people say, I, I just can't understand the Bible. And so I'm going to give you an explanation of the Bible that every one of us here this morning can remember. It's very simple. This book is about two covenants. That's what it's about. Two covenants. There's an Old Covenant. Another word that you might even have written in your Bible is Testament. Same as Covenant. There's the Old Testament. And then there's a New Testament. And that's the summation of the Bible. It's about the Old One 
and the new one. Another word that we can use there is it's about God's old promise and it's about a new promise. And so we're going to look at that together this morning. Now, what we had read this morning is from the book of Jeremiah. It's about 600 B.C. is when that was written. And this was written about 900 years after God gave the first covenant, the first promise, or what we call the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament. See, all that stuff in the Old Testament that you read, that's about God's first covenant that He made with His people. We see here in Jeremiah 31, and this is a prophecy. It's something that is being prophesied that will take place that, that had not happened. And here's what it is. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will make a new promise with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so he's foretelling here the coming of the New Testament and all that is written about there. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. We'll look at that covenant in just a moment. Because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So, we have these two testaments or these two covenants in the Bible. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a promise made between two parties. Now, it's important to understand that a covenant is simply not just a promise from God. A covenant is something that is agreed upon between two parties. So this is not just about a promise God has given to you and I, but it's about, it's about what happens when you and I agree to enter into this covenant with God. So it's like God makes His promise to us, but then we have a promise that we make back to God. That's what a covenant is. Marriage is a covenant. In fact, the Scripture teaches that marriage is a metaphor of the covenant relationship that God desires with you and I. And I think it's interesting in the text here that the Lord says, they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. So if you're wondering, you know, how does God picture his relationship with you, he pictures it. Uh, you know, the best way he can help you understand it is to understand the marriage relationship. And I think this is very important. Because, you know, God's idea of a covenant relationship with us is not like he's our PO officer. You know, a God who says, okay, I will go easy on you and I will not make life too miserable for you if you obey all the rules. God's relationship with us that He desires is far more personal than that. It is far more intimate than that. Christianity is very personal. God's desire for you this morning is extremely personal. 
And so he makes these covenants with us as his people. So here's what we have. The old covenant or promise and then a prediction here in Jeremiah of the new covenant. So let's just take a moment. Let's look at the old promise. We turn all the way back to the book of Exodus early on in the old description of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Exodus 19, chapter, verse 5. I'm going to read the first half of that verse and then chat, verses 7 and 8. Here's what we read. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So there it is. God says, I'm going to tell you my I'm going to tell you the 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 laws that I'm giving you that enable you to live in relationship with me. And I will bless you. You will be my people. I'll pour out my blessing upon you. Your part of the promise is to obey, is, is to live out the essence of the words that I'm giving you. And the people said, yes, that's what we want. We will enter into this covenant and we will do everything the Lord has told us to do. But there's one big problem. The people could not do it. They, they could not keep their end of the covenant. And so the very next book of the Bible is the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is all about what the people need to do now because they continually, continually fail to live up to their end of the covenant agreement. And so every time they fail, they would, you know, regularly they had to come, they had to go to the priest, they had to bring a sacrifice to atone for their failure in the covenant. And this was just repeated over and over and over, and the people went through this cycle over and over again of sin, repent, you know, come back to God, then they fall away and they sin again, and this just keeps going on and on and on. It was a never-ending cycle of failure and condemnation. So, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah comes along and he tells the people that God is, is going to make a new covenant. And so, the New Testament then is, you know, the explanation and the accounting of that new covenant which God makes with His people. And so, let's jump over then to the New Testament and we don't have to go too far. We see Jesus in the upper room. The Gospel of Luke. He is there. And we, we read these words. And we will say them again today. We say them every time we have communion. Jesus lifts the cup and He says, Okay, this cup is the new covenant. 600 years ago, this moment in time was prophesied. And Jesus lifts the cup and He says, I am now proclaiming to you the new covenant in My blood. And as often as you drink it, you proclaim My death until 
I come again. A new way of intimately knowing God. By the way, that's the purpose of the Old and the New Promise, was that people might intimately know God. And so here we see a new way of intimately knowing God. We're going to jump over now to the New Testament, New Testament explanation of this covenant, Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 8, you will find in its entirety what we just read in Jeremiah 31. Paul here brings, goes back to this prediction in Jeremiah 31 as he talks about the New Covenant. So Hebrews 8, 6, and 7. And here's the context before we read those two verses. Verses 1 through 5 talk about the ministry of the priests. How you know, the people would have to come, they'd have to find the priests, the priests would have to go on, on their behalf before God, offer the sacrifice, and it was a sacrifice of bulls and goats and animals and so forth, which really in and of themselves didn't have the power to fully clean, cleanse them from their sins anyway. And so we see here that he talks about this ministry of the priests under the old covenant or the old promise. And so now in verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. For it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, and He said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And now He's into Jeremiah 31, this prophecy that was given. And so as we look at this, it says that the new covenant is superior to the old one. It's based on better promises. And so... This morning, let's just take a moment and I want to take just the last few minutes here to look at why this is superior. So here's the first reason. And we see this in verses 10 and 11 of Hebrews 8. This is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now this is different. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And so, now this God's law in living out you know, a holy life in relationship to God is now internal instead of external. It's not being written out here some way. It's, it's being written on the very hearts of man. And the motivation to do it now is being worked uh, from the inside, from the inside of man. We are no longer dependent upon, as we see here, a, we're no longer dependent upon a priest or someone else to teach us or to enable us to know this because we all have this power within us. I was trying to think of an example of, of, of what this is like. and <clears throat> The one that came to, came to mind was many years ago I used to teach swimming lessons. I don't know if any of you were, have ever taught swimming lessons, but, you know, this is when we did them outside, and some days were kind of cold outside. And so, 
you know, if you have, at camp, if you have six classes and, and you've you got to get in the water, all six classes, you're kind of freezing to death. So initially, I remember trying to do it from the dock. And so, you know, okay, kids, now everybody get in the water, and we're going to do the side stroke. So start like this, you know, and kids are trying to figure out in the water which hand that is, and you're going to teach them the, the side stroke. And, and, then, and then Johnny's starting to sink, and Johnny, you need to float, you know, but he's not floating, and eventually you've got to get in the water. Now, you can teach swimming lessons from the dock, but when you get in the water and actually begin to, you know, show them how to do it, you actually help them do it, you actually support them and hold them up when they're learning the stroke so they don't sink. You actually become a part of enabling them to be able to learn the strokes and carry them along. You know, in some ways that's kind of what this is like. The, the old covenant was kind of like, here's what you need to do. And the people couldn't do it. And, and now the promise, God says, I'm going to come and these, these words are going to dwell in your heart and there's going to be something in you that's going to motivate you to do that. And we see here the promise along with that in Joel of the Holy Spirit that is going to come and write those laws within us to internalize them, to give us an internal desire and an internal power to actually live it out. And so we, we see here that we have been given this power of God's Spirit and motivation to live out this covenant. I'll give you one other example of how this becomes internal instead of external. This is a true story. There's a woman who was married to a very abusive man. And when they got married, the first night, he gave her a list of 20 things that she was to do. And every week, he would sit down and go through the checklist with her. And this woman, you know, she, she rebelled against that. She but she tried to do that as best she could, but she hated it. And after many years of this, this man became ill and died. And she met a new man, a wonderful, wonderful man. And he never asked her to do anything. He just, they got married, he loved her, and it was several, a couple years into their marriage, she came across the old list from her old spouse. And she looked at it and she said, she was amazed because she said, you know what? I am, I am doing everything on the list and I'm doing things that aren't even on the list because I want to. Because this man has moved into my life in a way that has changed me internally, that has given me the motivation to, to live out a love relationship with this person. That is the essence of what God desires to do in the hearts of His people. Well, here's the second one. What about when we fail? We have a new motivation, a new power. We're going to do much better, but we still fail. And so we see it, it addresses that issue as well. The old, the new Promise is commendation versus condemnation. Under the Old Covenant, 
what happened was people were always feeling condemned. They always felt condemned. I mean, they saw how they should be living, but they also saw that they kept failing and, and living in this guilt. And so, in 2 Corinthians 3.9, Paul says, if the ministry, he's talking about the ministry of the Old Covenant, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So, the Old Covenant brings condemnation, and the New Covenant brings to people righteousness. It brings commendation. It brings right standing with God. The old promise simply kept showing people how they failed. But it never gave them the power to do what was right. You know, people come, I've, I've been told this many times, that when people who are unchurched or, or outside of, of, of the church and outside of God's family, when they come to church, they feel condemned. I've had many people say, you know what, if I walked through the doors, the roof would fall in. Serious. People say that. And I don't think that's an indictment on the church. This is my, this is, this is my belief about that. I think the reason why people feel condemned when they think about going to a church, and they're outside the church, is because they are condemned. They stand in condemnation. And they inherently, we all know that as people. We know that our, our sin and our guilt leaves us in a position of, of condemnation. And of course, hopefully, when someone walks into this place, they will hear the message of the new covenant that we are called to proclaim, the gospel, which is, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the good news. The bad news is, without Christ, the roof may fall in on us. The bad news is, without Christ, we do stand condemned. The purpose of the Old Covenant was to show us all that we are condemned. You say, well, why did God do the Old Covenant? He did it, as the Scripture says, to lead us to Christ, to lead us to the New Covenant. And so the Old Promise has its place and its purpose. It was condemnation. But the new one is so far superior because this is now a way that we can really be commended before God and be in that state of being under no condemnation. No longer will it be based on performance, our performance. Now it will be based on Christ's performance. Huge difference between the old and the new covenant. And so now we are given this life which allows us to live through the power of God this new life within us. And then finally, and we don't have time to go into this morning, but the final thing is that this is a permanent, not a temporary promise. If you notice in verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. The old covenant promise is gone. That night when Jesus lifted the cup, he was proclaiming a new way. A new way to live in relationship with Christ. Well, what's the bottom line this morning? 
I think that I think the most critical thing that we need to take away from this is that this book is simply about a covenant that God wants to enter into with you. And let's just keep it simple because that's what it's really about. God wants, and if you want to try and understand the personalness of that relationship, the depth of that relationship, the Lord gave us marriage to at least, to at least get a little bit of an understanding of the depth of that relationship. And so God is looking to bless His creation. He, God is looking to bless your life. God is looking to take all of the stuff which needs to be made new and in His time to make it all new. That's what God desires for you. And He is he's offering this covenant. His promise is that He will make all things new, that He will bless you, that he, you will be... He will be your God and you will be His people. You'll live in that relationship of intimacy. And your part, because remember, a covenant takes two parties. Just because God desires to bless your life, just because God sent Christ, just because God promises to bless you, is not enough. You have to enter into this covenant. And your part and my part of this covenant is to trust and to depend and to invite the person of Christ to be our Savior, to trust in His righteousness. And so our right standing now, my right standing this week is not because I had a great week. My right standing this week is because of my trust in Christ. That's your part. That's my part. That's what God invites us to this Easter season. And I pray that God would just make that truth fresh to us. Father, this morning we thank You for this invitation. Father, I would pray for anyone here who has yet to enter into that covenant relationship with You. Father, it is through faith in the work of Christ on the cross that we enter into that covenant relationship. It's, Lord, as we abandon our, our attempt to perform adequately, it's as we abandon our efforts at fully fulfilling our end of the covenant, Lord, it's as we depend upon the work of Christ for the many ways that we have failed and the many ways that we continue to fail that we enter into this covenant relationship with You. Through the forgiveness of Christ and then through the ongoing power of Your Spirit which indwells and empowers and, and motivates us to walk in this relationship with You. So Father, thank You for the new promise. Thank You for the new covenant. Uh, Lord, might You open our eyes and our hearts to the newness that you are bringing and are going to bring into our lives. And uh, we will just praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.